Hello, and welcome to the Conclave cast. I'm SJ. We are a group of writers who connect emerging fantasy authors with readers on the hunt for the next titan of the genre. Every few weeks, we will introduce a new world, a new tale, and a new author, so you can learn the story behind the story and meet the creator behind the pen. Welcome to the Conclave cast. I'm SJ, and today I have Lacey joining me for an episode of Sell Me On It, a game show-inspired matchmaker to pair great books with their ideal readers. Today I will be convincing Lacey, and maybe all of you, that this book that I'm going to talk about today is one that should be near the top of your to-be-read list. Well, I mean, you you got a pretty tall order with me. I, I have a lot of things that I'm not a huge fan of. I'm really interested to see what you're bringing to the table today. All right. Well, what I'm bringing to the table today is Shelley Parker Chen's and She Who Became the Sun, which is her debut novel. And wow, is it excellent here. Let me Let me just read you the blurb to give you some idea. Quote, I refuse to be nothing. China, 1345. In a famine-stricken village on the dusky yellow plains, two children are given two faiths. A boy, greatness, and a girl, nothingness. When a bandit attack orphans the two children, though, it is the boy, Zhu Tung Ba, who succumbs to despair and dies. Desperate to escape her own fated death, the girl uses her brother's identity to enter a monastery as a young male novice. There, propelled by her burning desire to survive, Zhu learns that she is capable of doing whatever it takes— no matter how callous, to stay hidden from her fate. Wow. Like, you just hit, like, so many, like, <laughs> of the things that I actually really love. Wow. <laughs> I told you, you're gonna, you gotta read this. You gotta read it. I mean. <laughs> but, uh, all right, just so that everyone has a sense, because I've already had to see your list, but just so everyone knows, why don't you give us some idea of the sort of things you like, love, and dislike when it comes to books? Sure. I mean, the loves, that's the easy thing to talk about, right? You know, all <laughs> yeah. the things that we love to read about. So some of the things that I really enjoy reading are dual plot lines, and especially ones that they come together in a really meaningful way. But at first, they seem like very disconnected, mm-hmm. like they don't belong together. But eventually, once you get to a very resounding moment, it all just like makes sense. I love that. I eat it all up. Mm, and then, I mean, you've this. already hit, right? You've already hit on, like, one of my favorite things. I love historical elements in my story. So the fact that this has that sort of deal and is also, you know, uh, exemplifying a culture from different from my own. I mean, both of those things, they're things that I very much love to, to read about and to learn about, um, and then let's see here. So things that I, I like, I like male point of views. They're fine. I have no problems with them, but given the choice, I would rather read a strong female, you know, an independent woman main character over a male point of view. Um, but you know, I can definitely go both ways. That, that doesn't bother me at all. And then I, I do like having romance in my books. I don't like it to be the main focus of the story. I like to have more going on than that, but I like to have it there a little bit as well, just to, you know, kind of tickle my fancy, I guess. So for dislikes, I don't really like a lot of smut on page. I mean, 
I just think that it takes away from details that are better served on the page. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as writers, word count is a real thing. And I just think, right. And I just think that smut just like, it's just words that you could use better for something else. Right. Oh, I'm, I'm totally in agreement. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, you know, and I also, I really don't like it when I've read an entire book and, I get to the end and it's just like meh ending. Like I want mm-hmm. the payoff. I want, if you've held me in your grasp as the writer, as the author for X amount of pages and you've built up this amazing plot line mm-hmm. and then it just falls flat. I hate that. Yeah. It, it literally, like I will just stop reading a book after that. Understandable. Yeah. I think we're not, a couple of dislikes, but we're gonna let, let's start with the loves because I think you are going to love this book. Uh, I mean, we've All already right. hit the um, part about historical element, and let me tell you the the world building and the way this story is so incredibly rooted in Chinese history, in Chinese um, cultural differences, in the different uh, the Mo- the Mongol conflict of the time period is incredible. You can like tell that not only there was was there a lot of research into this, but that this was clearly such a labor of love and labor of years of study and of just knowledge of that era because it feels so alive. Is part of that does part of that kind of um show up in her in her entering into the monastery under her brother's name? Like is that one of the ways that it's it just comes alive so well on the page, like this this other culture, oh, well, this Chinese culture. Yeah. Well, what you have to understand is the monastery is only the first step. That's not even that's not even most of the book. That's just oh. like, like, monastery is like step two of this girl's life, and that's it. Uh, oh my goodness. Because like no, because um, it starts with uh, I'll call her Zhu because she doesn't have a name before she steals her, her brother's. Uh, they don't. Oh, interesting. She, she wasn't given a name. She wasn't su- expected to survive because the thing is that. She was the only living girl left in her village because during this famine, uh, if you had, I think the way that they put it very nicely in the book is if you have two scoops of food and a boy and a girl, why would you waste one scoop of food on the girl? Right. And so, yeah. And she's the only one who survives in the village because she figures out how to make traps and to get her own food. And it's the reason she's alive. And so the book starts with her trapping a lizard, and this is, you know, as the only girl woman left in the, girl child left in the village, and her being, I mean, she's she's treated like she's nothing. They're barely feeding her. She's got to feed herself. This wise man literally says that she is going to be nothing. And that's not even a surprise. And then this bandit attack happens, and her father's killed, and her brother just, he just gives up. He just dies there. Uh... A day or two afterward, just with the shock and the trauma of the bandit attack, he just gives up on life. She is left with nothing, but she refuses to be nothing. So she takes his name and goes to this monastery and persuades them to let her in. And she's in the monastery. She learns, she grows, and then some events happen and she ends up leaving the monastery into the wider world. She travels as a monk. She gets caught up in the wars and conflicts of the time. She ends up as part of an army. She does all sorts of stuff. She gets involved with politics, just all sorts of things. Incredible. 
Oh, it is incredible. Oh my gosh, because you hit on like one of my favorite things ever. Because she was always like told that she was going to be nothing. I love to hear feminine characters who say, I will not be defined by you and what you say I will be. And like, I just love that. That is, oh, that is such a huge theme by, of the story because not only he is you um, refusing to be defined by that, but the other female lead, Ma, is, def- is being defined by that. And Zhu is the one who comes to her and says like, want something for yourself. So they're be foiled for yourself. each other. Um, like you get both sides. Yeah, it doesn't really, yeah, I guess it's at definite points they come off as a foiled relationship between, they uh, they get close, they end up as love interests. Um, Ooh. It's a very, very nice relationship. Ooh, I this segues enjoys. nicely into my uh, life yeah. of romance. Yep. Tell no, me it's, more. It's a good, um, that, that when they meet, Ma is engaged to this guy who she doesn't want. It's not an engagement as we understand them in Western culture because she was given into this uh, this other house, uh, the the Guo family, when she was a child, and so she's raised and it's with their family. And at a certain point, she will marry uh, the the Guo son, little Guo, and that's just her life. That's how her life has always been. This has been her life since childhood. That this is the steps and progressions of her life until Zhu comes into her life and disrupts it and shows her that she's allowed to want something and allowed to be something. And allowed to move beyond that. It's also a story of uh, about what even is gender, because at first uh, you've got you've got Zhu, who's like living as a a man, who's born a woman, living as a man. But it, as the story goes on, Zhu starts starting to question. You know, oh, is it a? It's not. Zhu isn't necessarily a man, but it's not necessarily disguised either. In that. Jew isn't necessarily a woman either and what what does gendered mean or not mean to her which is a fascinating internal plot for the story to go through that sounds really incredible and I feel like that has to be really difficult to carry across the page but it sounds like the uh the author did a very excellent oh job yeah Shelly Shelly Parker Chen um well uh, she's yeah she's she's uh genderqueer queer and she it, her writing really reflects deep understanding of the subject matter which is beautiful it's also interesting with their foil the actual antagonist because i know you didn't mention it but i know you love villains who don't seem evil and bad and i that um that's oyoung is the other main pov character he Mm -hmm. is a eunuch general so his story is also very much about the exploration of gender and what that means for him that he has had this forced on him as a child of being a eunuch and how he relates to gender and sexuality because of that and how that has affected his life um and how he ends up on the opposing side of multiple battlefields from Zhu not because either of them have anything against each other or even that they necessarily want a certain side to win because Young he's basically a, a freed slave. He was the companion of this prince and the prince was like, hey, I like my slave. I'm going to promote him to being a general and he's my best friend now. And Young's relationship to that, I mean, well, yeah, it's nice to not technically be a slave anymore, but also this is still the same person who enslaved me 
and killed the rest of my family. And now I'm his general, but that doesn't mean I'm like cool with this. So his relationship to that is very, very interesting. And it took me a while to even realize that he was being set up as the antagonist. He just seemed like, okay, this is another POV character whose path is eventually going to cross with uh, Jews until they ended up on the opposite sides of this battle. And I went, oh, wait, damn, that means they're are they, they're they're going to be antagonists. Oh wait, like I really like this character, but he's the bad guy now. <laughs> yeah, and I'm I'm not even sure how that's going to carry through into the next book. Like, are they going to continue to be enemies forever? Or are they going to end up on the same side? I don't know. I can't. I honestly cannot tell. So, because this is just the first book of, I don't know if it's going to be a duology or a trilogy yet. But that's something I think you'll love is the fact that you can't, you genuinely cannot tell if these characters are going to end up on the same side ever or not, and that just makes their dynamic very, very interesting and unconventional, which I know you enjoy. And it kind of sounds like um, that plays into the dual plot lines and how they like they almost don't sound like they have any interaction between the, the plot lines until they do. And then at that point, you're, yeah. you're already sold on both of them as characters. Right. And even when they start interacting, it's not a convergence point in the sense that they're, they don't have a singular plot line after that. It's their paths keep weaving in and out of each other's and crossing as Ooh. each continues their own story. Oh, I love that. Ooh. Yeah, which is very, that... very nice to see. Which is why I don't know how it'll end up, because I don't know when their next beating is going to be. Their paths have crossed three times so far, but I don't know when the next one's going to be. I Like, not only that, four, but sorry, I love times, the number yes. three. So the fact that they've crossed three times, that's like Pro- magic they properly, for me. properly crossed three times. Technically, they crossed one before that, but it was like, they didn't interact or like one just sort of saw the other in the sure. distance sort of deal. Like, you know, that doesn't yeah. really count in the same way. Um, oh yeah. And sort of at every, every major, almost every major turning point in Ju's life has involved Ouyang in some way, but in a way that was not like Ouyang was intentionally doing anything specifically at Ju sort of way. So it doesn't feel direct, but it right. is still somehow a direct influence on her. Right. Like, wow. Uh, Ouyang has this falling out with the head of the monastery and that prompts Ju to have this other thing. But, you know, Ouyang wasn't aware that Ju was even a person. So. Right. Right. And then later on, Ouyang eventually obviously becomes aware of Ju's existence. But it's it's a very, very interesting interweave. Um, but Ouyang I is, love that. is, I mean, a male protagonist, a male POV character, as you said, but uh, well, a very well-handled one that does not feel like your generic, stereotypical fantasy male POV character, so I don't think... Which I really love, because part of my issue with male point-of-view characters is I feel like they're so they're overly still... masculine that and it's just so like... stock-standard, aren't they? Yeah. Yes! Yes! And it's like this dark, brooding male, like, no! <laughs> dark, no don't give me those! Who's... Yeah, no, no, we're not, do- not doing that. Give me the O-Youngs who, like... <laughs> Are breaking all of those gender norms and, like, and just struggling with their gender and sexuality. Yes, and... break yes. those barriers. That is amazing. I love yes. that. So I think you'll love that. Uh, so down to, at this to point, your... you have like sold me so like thoroughly on this. I'm <laughs> I'm so excited. Like I'm ready to pick this up. But we should talk about your dislikes. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the first thing I've got it. The main one I think we'll address. I mean, there's obvious dislikes. Things like. You love magic systems. There isn't much supernatural or magic in this, but that's just sort of a note. Uh, really, actually, that was one thing I was questioning while going through it, is, is this historical fiction or is this fantasy? And mm-hmm. it's a very hard line to draw. The only fantastical element 
is uh, the ghosts. Uh, Zhu can okay. see ghosts, and ghosts sometimes show up and kind of freak her out. Um, Interesting. Still don't know what the deal is with that, actually, because that's not one of the things addressed in the first book. She's eventually gotten used to the fact that, yeah, I can see ghosts and this is a thing over the cool. course of her life, from the first time she freaked out seeing them to, okay, this is kind of normal, but we still don't quite know the deal with that. There are a couple other little supernatural things, like the Mandate of Heaven is a very literal light, which you can see, which certain people have access to, which oh. is a very interesting way of conveying that. But despite those, other than that, there isn't much supernatural, so... So can is... I go back to the yeah. ghosts for a second? Sure, go Because ahead. I'm... I am a total like wuss. I am, I get so scared from everything. Ah. So I have to know, like, is are these ghosts like a, a terrifying sort of thing, or are they just like there and interacting? Like, are they? They're not what we would think of as like horror movie type or horror type ghosts, okay. but they're also not not scary in that they unnerve her a few times early in the book when she's not used to them being there yet. The The first instance is after her father and brother die, she's burying them and she looks up and the ghost just standing by the grave and that kind of freaks her out because that's just, what the hell? Because um, why wouldn't that freak anyone yeah, out? Exactly. Then the, I think the second time with the ghosts is in the monastery. She's just in bed and she sees figures moving outside, stuff like that. So... There are some moments like that where she sees the ghosts and they unnerve her. But most of the time the ghosts aren't even directly interacting with anyone. They're just minding their own business, happen to be floating around the place and she can see them. So uh, they're more present than Right, they are presence. There's only one time when they actively uh, interact with her that really freaks her out later on when she does something that angers them. <laughs> that she realizes in advance will anger them, but she didn't realize how much, and it really pisses off the ghosts. So there's, like, one freaky moment there, but it's, again, it's not... It doesn't... None of it has horror vibes because it's not, ooh, scary horror ghosts. It's just sort of spirits that happen to be floating around or clinging to people. Like, another big example is when she first sees Ouyang, she sees the ghosts really clustering around him, and... She wonders why they're clustering when she hasn't seen this before around a person. Why ghosts would be, like, clustering and clinging to a person. And later on, as we learn more about Ouyang, you learn that his family was all murdered. And you eventually connect the dots that, yeah, these are the ghosts of his family who he's trying to get vengeance for. Okay. So, and like, it's a they're very definitely building up for some really awesome stuff with this. Right. Yeah. And, like, with the with Young's ghost, it's very much ties into his psychology of how, I love how this, like, ties into his characterization, but of someone who's so totally hung up on his ghosts that he literally has his ghosts. Like, hovering <laughs> around him. That yeah. is, like, metaphorically and symbolically, that is fantastic. Yeah, I love everything about what you just said. Yeah. All right, so, so what are some more of my, my dislikes that... The other my... um, it's smut. There is, there is one, to my mind, gratuitous smut scene uh, okay. that, yeah, it, there, yeah, there, there was one scene I definitely personally felt was unnecessary words on the page, exactly like mm -hmm. you said, but it is one scene about three quarters of the way through the book. 
So at that point, you've kind of worked for it anyway. Yeah, at that point, yeah. My my problem with it, I guess, wasn't just that it came in a moment where it didn't advance the emotions either. It was like, there was no emotional anything about it. It was just a random moment. So it didn't feel like it needed to be there. But again, it's one scene three quarters of the way through the book. It's certainly not enough to be like, oh, I, I was going to read this book, but now there's this one, like, three-page scene. Right. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, no. Like we're, It's almost like we're all adults here or something. Literally. <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. Read it if you really don't want to read it. It's one scene, very easy to skip. Easy so. enough to just flip your pages forward. Exactly. Skip your audio book a little bit. Yeah, it's not a big deal. It's not, yeah, like I said, it's there. It's not something that I feel like would be enough to put anyone off the book. I feel um, like at this point, most books have at least some smut in yeah. them. And it's kind of just like a it's standard. Just like, I feel like they're there. Yeah. And it's whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. All right. I mean, at least it's not, you know, a complete, yeah. you know, no, it's, it's not. It doesn't take over the book. It doesn't take over the characters. There's definitely other questions and sexual related material, but it's not smut because it's much more it's tied into like oh young questioning his gender and sexuality rather than right being smut, i think which that's is something a really very, important which differentiation is, it, exactly it's a very important differentiation and that's what most of the scenes that have anything to do with sexual content are is that they are and even then it's not like that's the whole book that's a small section of the book but for the ones that are most of them are very much tied into the character's figuring out their own genders and sexualities and figuring out what it means to have the bodies that they currently have and rather than it being about sex itself i i like that play off of it yeah definitely i think that that's a big um a big win for this book yeah i agree um other dislikes the book the place where the book ends um one of the two plots it's not a it definitely, there's payoff on both plot lines. They're both, both Zhu and Ouyang have big payoffs before the end of the book for their, their plots that have definitely advanced a lot. That Zhu's plot ends with a moment that feels like it's more set up for the next book than it is conclusion. Well, kind of, it's kind of a mix of both, really. Yeah, it's a mix of both. But it's not one of the moments that I think will leave you feeling cheated. I think it's just going to okay. leave you feeling hyped for the next one. So it's it doesn't sound like it's necessarily like it ends in the middle of a scene because that's something right. that I really just yeah no it does not behind. it does not end in the middle of a scene. It just ends with something that's like okay, it almost feels like it's the real plot starts now. Okay, okay, like we were almost just in the pre-story trying to get yeah. to this moment. This exactly exact. that's yeah that's that's it. I love that. I mean, honestly, there was nothing that you said that I did not like about this book. Like, I'm, I'm all trying of this... to come up with dislikes here. I'm trying to make it interesting here for you, but <laughs> but you didn't even have to try. That was the thing. Yeah. Is this book just sounds so excellent, and I really love the way that it subverts um, sexuality and all of those tropes because I yeah. feel like that's a really um, it's not utilized enough and no. it's definitely something that we need to be seeing more of. So yes. like, I'm personally thrilled by this and I like, I yeah, want to read is... this book. Also on the line level, I didn't have a chance to mention this, but on the line level, the prose is beautiful. I've just got to say oh. like, that's, 
Not enough to make a break oh, for that. me, but that's a nice, nice bonus point. I, I mean, that's definitely something that I look for, but, yeah. you know, I can read some awful, like, fanfic that has tons <laughs> of spelling errors and stuff, too. So, like, you yeah. take it for what it's worth, you know, and but... if you open a book and it has beautiful prose, then I'm hoping that it ends up panning out the way that this is, the way that you're, like, painting yes. this to be for me. I absolutely, absolutely recommend beautiful prose, amazing characters, really interesting look at Chinese history, culture, um, that the divisions within Chinese culture and Mongol rule and exploration of all of that time period, all of it, just everything is excellent. I love it. I love it. So tell me how I can get my hands on it. <laughs> well, because I'm ready. I mean, like I listen to it through audiobook through Audible personally, but you can probably pick it up at any bookstore or since this is COVID time, you can pick up off the great bookstore that is the internet. <laughs> um, so if I seem to have very much convinced Lacey to go read She Became the Sun, I also want to recommend that all of you go read it. Clearly, I am in love with this book. Clearly, you should be too. And thank you for joining us today on the Conclave cast.